You're listening to the Grim Tidings Podcast. I'm Rob Matheny. And I'm Philip Overby. Today's guest is an author of over 150 books and stories spanning a range of genres, including contemporary fiction, thrillers, zombies, and horror. He's also the host of the Armcast Dead Sexy Horror Podcast, as well as the Mondo Method Podcast. He hails from the mean streets of New Jersey, but now calls Florida home. Husband, father, podcaster, and author, the Grim Tidings Podcast welcomes Mr. Armand Rosamilia to the show. Armand, thanks for coming on, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. A warm October welcome to you. It's an October all horror-related podcasts all month long. We had Ellen Datlow on the show. We've got Paul Tremblay coming up. We've got some pretty cool indie authors as well. And then we got kind of the podcast zombie authors side fusion mix-up with Armand today. Uh, you you have a massive backlog of books on Amazon. I think you are, for all the authors that we've had on the show, we've had, I think, 50 or something like that. I think you by far have the biggest selection of things to purchase on Amazon. And folks, check out your Amazon page. What's the deal with such a huge backlog? You're you're pretty damn prolific, man. That was the uh, that was the goal, you know, um, <laughs> to have as many different things, you know, not just say zombie books, but everything, right. so that uh, you know readers could come in and basically find me wherever and hopefully start reading from there. So uh, I've been writing full time for the last six years. I write a lot. I am um, seven days a week. I'm cranking out uh, different things, so um, this is better than going back to uh, retail management hell. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. So would you say maybe Dying Days would be maybe your flagship series? Yeah, definitely. Dying Days is, is pretty much the one that put me on the map as far as I was able to write full-time. Um, I also did some uh, B-movie Hollywood tie-in books most of which were never released, but the money for them was like crazy money. It's like ghostwriting money, basically. So that really helped me um, kind of build up right from, right from the beginning. I got very lucky when, in you know, 2009 or so, when the self-publishing really kicked off in Amazon and everything else. I, I got in at the right time. Caught the wave of the ebook. Yeah, I was, I was lucky. We were, we were riding... We were riding high <laughs> coming into that <laughs> Christmas there, and we were all making, you know, $1,000 weeks, and uh, wow. what was it, Jay Conrath made $100,000 in three weeks before Christmas. Holy shit. Yeah. So, I mean, we were, I mean, they were just, it was the Wild West. We were all just, you just, you try to throw up as many stories and books as you could at that point, and readers were, were starting to get into eBooks and stuff and they were buying everything, you know, and it was awesome. And, um, then there was a small group of us and then there was a bigger group and now there's a billion of us. And now it's try to find your, uh, try to find those readers again or try to find new readers. Uh, so the dying day series is a, is a zombie tale. Yes. Uh, what's, what's your unique take on, on this zombie tale that you're telling? The, uh, the zombies, well, first off, the idea came from I was just driving. I'm in Florida now, but I'm a Jersey boy. I grew up in Jersey, and I'm driving down this area called Matanzas Inlet, which is gorgeous. And you got the beach on one side, and you got the intercoastal on the other. And there's people out surfing and you know having a good time on the beach. And of course, my mind 
is kind of screwed up. And I go, how crazy would it be if zombies came out of the surf, you know, and started attacking these people? Because you always see zombies in the dark, gloomy, rainy buildings in this major cities, that kind of thing. What, what yeah. if it, they just walked off the beach here? And that was kind of the idea, set it in Florida. And then the real the idea was the uh, kind of my tagline for it was uh, these zombies don't just want to bite you. They want to sexually violate you. Wow. Yeah. So I, it, it started as a Highway to Hell was actually the first book I wrote or the first novella I wrote for Comet Press was looking for extreme zombie fiction. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I could do that. And then I just kind of ramped it up and ramped it up. And that was that was the thing. But what if I don't actually have rape in there, but um, oh, the opening scene is. But that's it. And then um, that was kind of the the setting. I said, you know what? I love this world. And um and that was basically it, it, it morphed into the Dying Day series. It's been successful for you. I mean, you got six in the series now? Yes. Uh, Dying Day 7 will be out November 1st. Um, cool. So folks can pick that up. Is it on pre-order now? Or? Yep, it's on pre-order right now. Sweet. So as far as um, zombies, do you typically go with a classic zombie, like a slow zombie or fast zombie, medium speed zombie? <laughs> What kind of zombies do you typically like or all kinds of zombies? Cool. I am a in the books. It's it starts out as more of Romero slow zombies. Mm, yeah. But as the series progresses, my thing was I need to do something or all these zombies are just going to run out of food and die. And then our, our books over by three or four. So what I did was I I started evolving the zombies and the longer they they're zombies, maybe they re, they start to regenerate, they start to gain their intelligence back, and they morph into they evolve into another creature basically, as the mm-hmm. as the series progresses. So now you're looking at book five, six, seven. Uh, there will be nine in the series. It's it's a whole different thing. There's still zombies. There's still people that have recently turned or whatever. But then there's other whatever these new creatures are, which you have to contend with. Now you don't have to just contend with some mindless zombie who wants to bite you. And now all of a sudden you have intelligent creatures that are trying to kill you. Interesting kind of twist. Yeah, I, I just wanted something more than you know, like like twenty. What was it? Twenty eight weeks later. I thought it was great at the beginning of that because all the zombies are dead because <laughs> they've all run out of food. <laughs> I'm like, you know, that's there you go. You've, right. you've quarantined them and now they all die. So I, I kind of like that. So that was my that was my take on it. But yet my favorite zombie movie is the remake of uh, What a Dawn of the Dead with Ving Rhames running oh, yeah. zombies. We're like, holy shit, that's really cool. You know, that's that's scary. That's, that's scarier than somebody shambling down the down the road at you. That opening scene is one of my favorite zombie uh, scenes. With, yeah. Well, not the opening scene, but when they're when they're in the bedroom and then the little girl, <laughs> the little girl. And then suddenly the husband's like, <laughs> and you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. My favorite when the first time I ever saw that, my favorite, though, was when the husband is, is running after the car. Oh, and then all of a sudden there's the guy on the lawn, just watering the lawn. And he just <laughs> veers off and just attacks him. I was like, that is awesome. <laughs> He's like, oh, distract, distraction <laughs> over there, food. Yeah. So there's actually a lot of uh, quality uh, zombie fiction out there. Uh, authors like Sean Cheshire and Mark Tufo and others uh, writing some seriously awesome uh, zombie fiction. What would you kind of attribute to the rise of that kind of zombie genre and why it's so successful? I think we all came up at the, around the same time. Um, I've known Mark Tufo. I've known Sean Cheshire, John O'Brien. I, I've known all those guys 
for years now. And five, about five years ago, I started a thing called, um, it, it, we, we realized in June and November were our slow months right from the beginning. So every June I do Summer of Zombie, a blog tour. And every November I do Winter of Zombie, which is a blog tour, which over the last year now, Jay Wilburn, also a great writer, has taken it over because I'm so busy. And these were the guys, these were the basic guys, you know, Sean and Mark and John O'Brien, Joe McKinney. All these guys were the ones who really started at around the same time I started and we helped mm-hmm. each other out and everything. So I think as we've all evolved and we've all grown as writers, our stuff has just gotten better. And we, we have a lot of the same readers, which is awesome, you know. And we all write something a little different. Do you typically find that some fans may read one of the authors and then the other authors are recommended and that's kind of a word of mouth way of marketing that's how we always do it all the guys are very cool you'll see on facebook all the time i'll get tagged on a thread and i have no idea who this person is (laughs) and it's hey i'm uh, i just finished sean chester's new book you know five minutes after it came out because i love his stuff and recommend something and sean will jump in there and usually recommends me john mark Joe McKinney. I mean, there's there's different authors that come and go, so to speak, that that we all like. And, but that's kind of the the push is that uh, you know it's indie. It's word of mouth is a lot of this. That's most of my fans have come because I read a Mark Tufo book and now where do I go? You know, and Mark will suggest or somebody will suggest, which is really cool. The 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 readers do it. You know, somebody will say, hey, I need a new zombie book, and this is kind of this. I'm looking for slow zombies or I'm looking for fast zombies. And people will start posting a ton of books uh, for it. Last year, before I handed over the uh, Winter of Zombie uh, to Jay Wilburn this year, last year I had 48 zombie authors. And I had, a, and I had to turn away, I think, 75. So, <laughs> I mean, in the beginning it was me, John, Sean, and, and Mark. I think there was four or maybe five of us on the first tour five years ago. Now I could put 300 zombie authors and still not even <laughs> scratch the surface. That would be an interesting uh, story. 300 zombie <laughs> authors that are <laughs> zombies. It was, that it, was a, zombies. It, it was a nightmare coordinating 48 creative people to, right. to give me the posts and the interviews and sharing <laughs> and everything else. Oh, that drove me nuts. No wonder he handed it off. Yeah. It's, it's quite the task. I wonder if there's ever going to be a desire for medium speed zombies. Either. <laughs> it's slow or fast. I just want people that are just kind of average. <laughs> average. Like they just walk. They're just kind of fast walkers. <laughs> There's speed, speed power walk. walk. Yeah, power <laughs> yeah, walker. Yeah. Power walker power zombies. zombies. I'm sure somebody out there is going, I'm right. I'm going to write that. Let me write <laughs> On that. it. Yeah. Would you say the rise of the zombie genre would, would be attributed somewhat to the Walking Dead series and its success? I think what was what's great is we, I know for like for me and, and Mark, and we started writing before the series came out. So my first book had already been released. And I had already written the second one, I believe, when the show started. So we were all excited. Hey, this is this is cool. This will help us. We I don't think we had any idea how much it would help us. You know, and in the beginning, there's a lot of um, fans of the show now that started reading zombie fiction. Came in not as not as much, but it still gave us a nice bump for it. Of course, now most people when they think of zombies, they think of The Walking Dead first more than anything. So if you write anything in your book that even looks like The Walking Dead, they figure you stole it from there instead of just... (laughs) I had a couple of times where people pointed out stuff in, uh, I think, the first Highway to Hell book. And I'm like, that was written literally like four years before the show, and I've never (laughs) read the comic book. So I'm 
you know, I, I had a I had a, a short story that was set in a in a prison, a zombie, and I scrapped the story because whatever season that was came out, like, you know, <laughs> uh, six six months later, I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing this. So yeah, I can imagine it being the the number one show in the country gave it a little push for yeah, sales. It, probably tipped a again. It was that uh, at the right place at the right time for mm-hmm. for for us, you know, for the zombie authors, uh, which was cool. Have there been any zombie movies as of late? I know George Romero is obviously the classic zombie connoisseur. Have there been any recent zombie movies or TV shows other than The Walking Dead that that you think have stirred up interest in the genre at all? I think there was, you know, we we had a few zombie movies that came out over the last few years. And then, uh, what is it, Z Nation, which I don't watch. Fear the Walking Dead, which is absolutely horrible. <laughs> we, we couldn't get we couldn't get past. I don't think the first maybe six or seven episodes of that made it longer than I did. Which of the characters were just horrible. I mean, yeah. just you, you, for me, it's about it's always been about the survivors. It's always been about the people and what they deal with, and not just the zombies. Zombies by themselves are just boring. So uh, you needed something more there, and there was there was really nothing there. But. Uh, What's funny is I don't watch I don't watch any really horror movies or any of that stuff. I'm I'm a um I would rather sit down. My wife makes fun of me. I would rather watch a Jennifer Aniston romantic comedy than anything. And she she goofs <laughs> on me all the time. You know. <laughs> I was gonna say you have gotten endorsements from Beyonce and Selena Gomez. Well, they're just Inc. you know they're just big fans of mine. So <laughs> don't don't forget Oprah. Oprah is a big fan. Oprah, of mine. yeah. <laughs> There's, uh, you're going to be on the Oprah book club. I'm assuming. Yeah, dying days. Yeah. Well, she's doing an Oprah zombie book club. I'm. I'm not. Uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to announce that yet. So. Oh okay. shit! You heard it here first. <laughs> Good shit. And you are a big time podcaster to uh, the uh, Dead Sexy Horror Podcast, Armcast. Yeah. Dead Sexy Horror Podcast. Um, has been around for two years, hundred plus episodes. Yeah. Uh, I think you've interviewed like a fucktillion authors. Yeah, it's funny <laughs> after two years of it because. You start you start setting up to do an interview and and they're like oh you know it's great to have you on the show and they're like oh yeah I was on like last year and I'm like yeah I don't I, I don't remember all that like I don't ha- I don't have this giant board of everybody I've had on before and I I can't remember from last month so so what got you into podcasting then I was originally in um, I was in radio down uh, down here in Florida at an AM station a, a buddy of mine who was in a band had bought a, a little tiny radio station on a pier in Flagler Beach. And we just start started talking. We had a lot in common, and he he liked my voice, and he said, "Hey, you want to do like a metal show?" Because I, I, you know, we don't have that on the station. I said, "Sure." And then uh, me and another uh, author decided, "Hey, let's do like a Friday night. We'll call it Friday Night Writes, and we'll just do like a two-hour, three-hour show interviewing authors or just talking about author stuff." And we did that for about a year, and the station actually went FM. But it was about an hour and a half ride for me every Friday night. And my show would end at midnight, and then I'd have to drive home. And it just got to be too much. And I started listening to some podcasts at that point. And for a while, I, I just basically just recorded. I got the equipment. I just recorded my shows and just basically sent them to the station. And then they would put, put them up and, rec- and play them. And then I just got to be too much. And I'm from Jersey, so I curse a lot. So I would have to <laughs> edit a lot. And I didn't like that. And I said, you know what? Instead of being on podcasts, let me see if I could do my own. So I started doing uh, Armcast podcast on my own for a few months until I met um, Jess uh, Roberts with Project Die Radio, and we started talking. And my big thing for me is because the horror show with Brian Keane is on the network, so that was kind of a, a cool thing for me to be on the same network with Brian Keane. 
Sure. And uh, and he right away he he loved the show and he wanted me to do a second one. So we I did a second one with with Mark Tufo that's in hiatus. You know because I'm not busy enough. I said, hey, no. let me let me do a second one. So we did the I started <laughs> about a month ago now. We did the the Mondo Method podcast, which is me and a new author Chuck Buddha. And what's cool is I always like to say he's making all the same mistakes I made in the beginning. So let me try to talk him out of it. And that's kind of the the goofy premise of the show is we'll bring a different thing to the table every week that he's having trouble with or, you know, editors, uh, you know, he, he's like, oh, do I really need an editor? I'll let's sit down and talk about it. You know, that kind of thing. And um, what's cool then at the end of those shows is there's a thing called marketing morsels with Erin Sweet Al-Mahiri, who's a PR she owns a PR company. So she comes in from the PR perspective of it, which is great. And she talks about SEOs and she talks about authors doing guest posts and, you know, a lot of different things like that. So it's only been around for about a month or so, but already it's generating some really cool buzz. A lot of authors and readers who want to know the inside, you know, how, how we, we think. Uh, so it's, it's doing pretty well. Yeah, we cover a lot of those subjects actually on our podcast as well. So I'm sure listeners can head over to projectatradio.com and they can check out all of your podcasts, The Mondo Method and the uh, Armcast Dead Sexy Whore podcast. But don't do it now. Listen to the rest of this interview right. first. Just keep listening. <laughs> yeah. Please keep listening. You can and, listen to both at the same time and maybe it'll be like really trippy. Yeah. It'd be like. What if we were talking about the same thing at the same time? How crazy would that oh, be? Oh, That'd damn. be like that Pink, Pink Floyd Wizard of Oz thing. Yeah. So meta. What if you listen to the Armcast Dead Sexy Whore podcast, the Mondo Method podcast, and the Grim Tidings podcast all at the same time? And watch a Jennifer oh. Aniston movie all at the same time. It's like a big layer cake. <laughs> as far as horror goes, uh, often when when we talk about monsters, specifically zombies, werewolves, and these kind of uh, vampires, a gore tends to be a prevalent feature of that genre. Do you think it's possible to do zombie fiction without a lot of gore or is that or violence or is that a requirement? Do you think? I think it depends on the, on the author of how much you need. I know speaking just for me, when I first started out, I really felt like I had to hit the reader over the head with it. I look back and I go, I didn't think my writing was, was good enough. So I had to kind of mask that with let's, let's have these over the top crazy, you know, I would write these crazy sex scenes or these crazy violent scenes and, you know, ripping intestines out and, you know, wacky shit. And I, I think as I've gotten better, hopefully as an author and more confident and I found my voice that I don't need to do that. I mean, highway to hell, that book was extreme, and, and I actually went back about a year ago, and I rewrote those parts, and I tamed them, and I made it more about the story than those over-the-top, you know, I when I wrote it, I felt like every four or five chapters, I needed a crazy sex scene, or I needed a crazy violent scene, and I took those out and made them more in line with the rest of the Dying Day series, because while they want to technically, the zombies, you know, want to rape you, I don't show that in the books. I mean, I, it's just the fear of that to the reader is, I, I think, is better than just going, okay, then so zombies just keep raping people and, you know, that's it. I was at a convention once and some guy came up and, and said, um, hey, I read, I, I heard about these books. This is, these are the rapey zombies, right? And I said, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> he ended up buying like all six of them. I was, so I was very happy. <laughs> But he, he actually he was a little bit uh, he, he he was smiling a little bit too much, which is weird. So. <laughs> so being in the in the publishing industry since well 2009 and beforehand, but uh, really getting your your bearings about you at, at that time, you've kind of been around for a while. 
I just wanted to kind of pick your brain and maybe get your perspective on the maybe the current state of horror indie publishing. Is it a good state or a bad state? Is it growing? Is it waning? What What's kind of your thoughts on on the current state of the industry? I think it's shifting all the time, which which is a good thing if you can keep up. Sometimes I, I find it hard to keep up. You know, I self-publish, but I also work with small press publishers. I've also had bites from from some of the big ones that that didn't work out. And uh, like I said, I still uh, I still will sometimes do like the Hollywood tie-in stuff. The problem with it is you just really you, you don't know from day to day. Sometimes uh, I've been burned by a couple of of different uh, publishers in the past, and I learned that you know you don't put all your eggs in one basket. You don't just work with one publisher. You try to get more than one. You you know what's great for me is being a podcaster is I bring on authors and I ask them about well you know how how is it working out with the publisher. And they'll they'll go through this whole thing, but then a couple times, not recently, luckily, but a couple times, I've had where after the show, basically they don't say much about the publisher, and then they'll tell me, yeah, I, I'm I'll never work with them again. This will be my last book with them, and this is why. So that's a note for me. Okay, don't work with you know certain publisher anymore. Don't get screwed over. And it you know it changes. People go through uh, stuff publishing. Are they people? I had one who basically at this point he just doesn't even want to be in in publishing anymore. But he doesn't have the balls to just say, yeah, I'm I'm going to you know stop doing this. So he hasn't has also hasn't paid royalties in about a year and a half. Yeah, is that a big problem with with indie publishers in general? Is the do you think authors are hesitant to join an indie publisher because they're afraid it's going to be mishandled? I think there's a perception sometimes from new authors coming in that that's the norm, and it's not. It's a very, very small percent of of indie publishing that you get screwed over or there's a delay or whatever. Most of the companies out there that I've dealt with, most of the companies that I've heard stories from, do a good job. The problem is you only hear about when somebody screws you over. And then you get an author who screams it from the top of the mountain, which is fine. I mean, I would I would do the same thing if you get screwed over. So those are the ones you hear. And it kind of blocks out all the companies that you you're working with now that are doing the right thing. From your perspective, how do um, associations like the HWA or other sort of professional organizations factor in or how, how do you think they should factor in for an author trying to do horror publishing these days? I think it depends on where you are in your career. I've been an active member for the last four or five years. Um, I was very excited when I got my first professional sale. That that was actually thanks to the Hollywood stuff. And I was able to join as a, I never wanted to just join. I wanted to join as an active voting member. Um, so I've done that. That being said, I have not renewed for next year. They've gone through a lot of growing pains and stuff this year. Some of the stuff which I, I don't agree with. And I have no ill will towards the HWA at, at all. I still think there is a chance for them to turn around and do something that's really important and kind of be the the glue that's holding everything together. There's some awesome, awesome people that are members and part of the HWA. And, um, you know, I mean, that's really, I guess that's all I'm, I can <laughs> really say about that at this point. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah. Next question. Oh. <laughs> uh, so you are a frequent attender of cons. I love going to conventions. We go to um, way too many, I think, but. <laughs> What's the main advantage to uh, cons in your professional repertoire? It's definitely the networking. It's um, it's me getting to meet fans, which is awesome. And it's uh, for me, it's the social media aspect of it, of posting pictures. And, uh, you know, anytime I don't go to a con, I always look and I see all these pictures and all these people hanging out and all this like, oh, man, I wish I could be there. And I get that a lot with readers who who say that, too. So this year I did Scares the Care. 
in um, Williamsburg, Virginia is the best conventions I've ever, ever been to the last two years. And for me, that was great. I mean, I got to move up into the celebrity room and um, I actually even went over and talked to William Forsyth about the John Doe TV series and why it only went one season and everybody was making fun of me. <laughs> but uh, conventions are, are, are a big part of being an author, I think. Book signings, the same thing. I mean, just getting out there and just meeting readers. I, I met so many people at that convention, which was cool, which were there who were there to see us. So they would actually come up. Oh, my God, I've been talking to you for two years on Facebook and let's take a picture and let me buy the latest book and stuff like that. So it, it definitely um, it definitely helps getting you out there. And then those pictures go online. And I usually do like a podcast of a, uh, you know, convention report kind of thing. So I'll do one of my next episodes will be the good and the bad of that convention and whatnot. And, and I do interviews with other authors while I'm there, too. So it's great for your ego, too. <laughs> <laughs> Tons of people saying good things about yeah, you. Yeah, so it's always nice. My wife gets a uh, kick out of it because they'll be coming up and they'll be hugging me and they'll be taking pictures and I'll – you know, uh, I'll be handing her their camera, their their phone. Can you take a picture of us and stuff? And she just she just kind of smiles because she knows I love that. I love that part of it. I know conventions all have different feelings. The only conventions I've been to, uh, I went to Horror Find a couple of times, and then I went to uh, like a uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast small convention. Usually at the fantasy comic conventions, you have a lot of people dressing up in outfits and those kind of things. Do you notice that at the horror conventions at all? Do people often get dressed up or is it more regular, <laughs> like regular clothes? I think it, de it depends on the convention. I, I like to do a lot of different ones. Um, this year I did two different romance conventions that, that me and Jay Wilburn were invited to. And uh, at the first one, in Atlanta, we were, it was me, Jay, and Steven Shrewsbury. We were the only three dudes there, basically, selling books. <laughs> but it's a whole different audience. People were just walking up and basically just saying, which three books do you suggest kind of thing. And, I mean, we were selling books without having to sell the books, which was weird. And then I've been to a lot of, like, October, I do Spooky Empire down in Orlando. And that's more of a fan convention. Like, all the kids from Stranger Things are there. So people are going there maybe not necessarily to see the authors, they're going to see the movie people and, and all those things. I mean, Edward Lee's there, you know, some, some decent names are, are, are there, but that's not the main point of that. And you, there's tons of cosplay there. I mean, tons. And then I'll go to other ones where it's, it's a much smaller convention and there's, it's like, a, you know, if you go to the world horror conventions, it's basically just us writers there. I mean, there's a ton of writers and industry people there, which is cool, but you know, none of us are running around wearing costumes. I was going to ask you, too, about your philosophy when it comes to social media and, and promotion, because I, when I see your Twitter and your Facebook and even Pinterest, like you have a bazillion followers, you post all the time, you're very you're, you're kind of very active, more so than than I usually see with uh, the authors who, who we commonly have on some are just like, yeah, I kind of use Twitter sometimes. Yeah, I'm kind of on Facebook, not anywhere else. But you're kind of full bore promotional machine engaged. Um, so what's kind of your your philosophy? behind uh, making so much noise over there you know i i jumped in from the beginning which is nice twitter has always been very good to me i have like one hundred and fourteen thousand followers on there i think damn i've never bought any uh it's all just basically just organic building an audience and it leads to a lot of sales for me and i also i'm also very big on karma i'm very big on helping other authors like the winter zombie blog tours and stuff like that Mm -hmm. Um, most of the noise I make is for other authors who maybe then 
the readers will, will be interested in, in my stuff. There's only so many times you can yell, buy my book, buy my book before everybody tunes you out. Mm-hmm. So I'm very big on helping other people um, with stuff. And I just, I, I guess I'm just, um, I'm a collector. So I have that really horrible thing where I can't just buy, like I, I collect comic books. I collect baseball cards. I collect those stupid new pop vinyl things. I've, I've got like six or seven of them. I'm sure I'll have 10,000 of them before I'm done. <laughs> I have to get as many as possible. So if you look at like my Pinterest, there's whatever, 100,000 people, whatever. It's some crazy number. I don't even know. And I just keep adding. And every night it's kind of, you know, you sit in front of the television and I add Twitter followers or I accept the Twitter followers. And with Twitter for me, I use a, a thing called Buffer and I basically just schedule all my posts. So when I'm asleep, there's still posts, there's still tweets going up every hour on the hour. I just kind of got my own little system that I tweak every now and then, and it seems to work, especially when a new book's coming out. So especially when stuff is on pre-sale, I'm generating a lot of buzz without it being shoved down your throat, which is nice. Subtlety goes along. Yeah, I mean, I used to do the typical couple years ago where I would post in 400 Facebook groups, you know, here's the new book, buy the new book kind of thing. And then I realized I'm just really pissing people off. <laughs> People are still doing that now. Uh, I know. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> if you can believe it. I always think um, there must be a small kernel of truth to some of this kind of promotion if people continue to do it. I don't quite understand it myself, but there's a lot of people that are doing certain things for some particular reason. Do you have any idea what the reason might be? Because <laughs> well, I, I have the, no idea. I think it's it's a, it's a combination of it's the easiest way to, to do something to do it. You know, they figure, well, this is I'll just post this and I'll just make I'll just magically make money. Or that's the way that that they've seen other authors before them do. And or they're talking to an author who's saying, hey, this is how I make money. You know, what's funny is everybody has their own levels of success. So for me to be able to pay my bills and and never have to go back to a real job ever again and be able to just sit here in my underwear and write all day. That's where I want to be. You know, monetarily, I have a goal and I, I match it or beat it every year. So I'm happy with that. But there's a lot of authors out there who, who will talk about their success. But success to them is 100 sales a month. But they're telling other authors, like I know an author who, who, who says, oh, so-and-so, you know, gives me all advice and stuff. And I'm like, okay. But I'm thinking to myself, that person sleeps on a couch. That person works <laughs> a full-time job. And it's supposed to be this huge author, but they're not making any money doing this. But yet they're giving it life advice of, hey, this is how you build your career. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I want to be a dick and say, buy a couch. That's your first thing. <laughs> you have somewhere to sleep. I mean, and, and it's that kind of uh, attitude. We all got to find our own way doing this. I mean, I've made a ton of mistakes. I always, I always own up to that. It makes it easier when people come to me and say, hey, I want to do this. And I'll say, everybody's different. But when I did that, this is how I lost, you know, $20,000 or something ridiculous. You know what I mean? So um, it's all different. And I think that's the fun of this, that I could do something tomorrow and you could do the same exact thing. And one of us might succeed and the other one's going to fail at it. And it's the same exact thing. You, you just don't know. Uh, what are you working on now? What's your WIP? I'm always working on five or six things at once. I just had uh, Dirty Deeds 2 came out in august that was uh, the sequel to i had won a kindle scout contract last year and the dirty deeds it's a crime thriller something completely different from from me it's a lot of humor and stuff but i wanted to write a book again it's back to you know finding your voice i wrote a book with no profanity no sex no over-the-top violence none of that just a fun book 
and um, Kindle Press bought it. I got a contract off of it. I put the second one out in August. I'm actually writing the third one now. My goal is to have a new one out every five or six months. When they do the marketing for the first one, they said it's for fans of Janet Ivanovich or, or Carl Heisen, Tim Dorsey, those kind of authors. Which to me, I was like, hey, that's really cool, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I'm working on the third one of that. I will jump right into Dying Days 8 because that will be due in June for the next summer of zombie blog tour I'm, I'm doing i just finished green river blend 2 for uh, devil dog press and i will be doing De uh, green river blend 3 for them for the beginning of next year um that's a horror book about coffee <laughs> nice <laughs> uh i mean i just got there's basically my 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 wall is uh, packed with with things i need to write so i'm constantly uh, i'm constantly churning stuff out i have a patron page so every month i do a couple of different next chapters of a couple of different books I'm doing there. I post up short stories you can't find anywhere else. It's nice to have 150 releases, but I have so many that are now out of print that uh, I'm able to put some of that stuff up there and let people read as well, which is nice. Do you believe Patreon is going to be a common, it's going to become more and more common for authors to release exclusive things? I think as people understand what it is, a lot of people don't understand what it is. They just go, oh, I got to give you a dollar. I don't want to give you a dollar, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then but then when I go, well, you can read, you know, my dying days, I'm doing a young adult novella the first of every month I put out the next chapter of it. So you can go back and read the whole thing. And every month I'm putting video content and, and stories that you can't read anywhere else and all this other stuff. And I think for an author, for your your rabid fan, they're eventually going to do that. Because all my stuff is in Amazon now. I don't deal with Barnes & Noble and all those other ones. That's just me because I don't make any money on those. But I do make a ton of money on the page reads aspect of Amazon. So it was a good move for me. Patron, to me, I want that to also be that go-to for my fans that every every week I do, like a weekly, what I did every, what I wrote every day and little tidbits. And it's a lot of stuff that... You don't even know I'm writing unless you're a fan, unless you subscribe. Basically, you give me a dollar a month. And then I get a lot of questions about that, which is cool. Hey, I didn't even know you were writing this book. Well, I'm, I'm secretly writing this book, but I'm letting you know I'm writing this book kind of thing. So I think my goal would be at some point that that would really be that big money generating thing like Amazon for me. But on top of that, it would give me a place to really give the fans a ton of stuff that you can't do on Amazon, you know. Uh, the just the short stories and stuff like that. So, I mean, I could put one of those short stories on Amazon for 99 cents, or I could put three of those or four of those on Patreon for the month at a dollar. So for an extra penny, you get a couple of extra things to read or more usually. So really for the fans who kind of want to get all up in your biz and get the <laughs> exclusive looks and peaks and, 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 and new shorts and stuff like that. The Patreon is really where, where you would direct them. Yeah, that would, that would be the, uh, I mean, if you want to see, some really old stuff you want to see. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of going through where I'm going to, I might start taking some of my older blog posts and stuff that have been buried for five and six years and put some of those up there. And we, because it's cool because me reading them, I'm like, holy crap, I had no idea where I was going to be now. Kind of the, the, the naive hopes and dreams of where I was supposed to be or, or things I was talking about that I never even wrote. There's there's a couple of ideas there. I'm like, I totally forgot about that. So just interesting stuff. I want it to be something, you know, I want it to be in, interesting and more personal there. You're, you're able to be more personal there uh, as well. So, I mean, you might see from my days as a, as a Chippendales dancer, you might see some of those videos, you know. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, you needed the money. I, 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 you know, I needed exactly. <laughs> Well, we're just about out of time. Uh, it's been a fantastic October conversation here today. Do you have any uh, plans for Halloween uh, costume dressed up? Are you going to go trick-or-treating or anything like I that? Am a, here's the funny part. I am not a huge – people are going to kill me. I'm not a huge Halloween fan. Like I, I dressed up as ah. a kid, but once I got like 13 or 14, I was like, eh. <laughs> now, my mother still dresses up. Like she just showed us her costume and um, – <laughs> You know, my, my mother's in her 60s, and she's still – and I think that's why. As a kid, she would dress up in these crazy things, and all of her girlfriends would go to the diner in these outfits and stuff. And I guess she ruined Halloween for me. But <laughs> we uh, we live on a in a development that is huge and like 150, 200 houses, whatever. And people drop off their kids in the – and so last year we went through like five bowls of candy. Damn. So I'll sit – we'll sit a little – we'll put up a little table in the, in the at the end of the driveway – and we'll just sit out there and just hand out candy. And I mean, we're, we're handing out lines of ca- of kids are coming up, which is really cool to see all the costumes and, and stuff. So, what's your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, well, here's here's my problem. I am uh, very fat, and <laughs> and the reason for that is that I eat way too many M and M's. Ah, okay. That's kind of my uh, that's kind of my thing. M and M's and coffee. Everybody knows that those are my like my two big my two big vices. You know, I don't I don't smoke. I don't drink much. I don't I don't do drugs because I'm I'm too busy eating M and M's. <laughs> I like eating M&M's and popcorn at the same time. I like the salty, sweet mm. combination in my yeah, so mouth. I would, just, I would just pick out, like, like you get, if you give me like a, bale, a bag of that trail mix, I'll just pick out like all the M&M's. Oh. <laughs> are you traditional, just the plain M&M's? Do you like the peanuts? Or plain are you down with plain the, or, or peanut. Okay. None of that new Fendangle crispy yeah, I'm, shit? I'm not interested in all that, uh, all that silliness. I mean, it's in M&M's. <laughs> don't, 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 don't do all that. In Japan, we have orange M and M's, uh, and we have we have some interesting uh, different different stuff I haven't seen in the states. So that's kind of yeah, interesting. Squid M and M's? No, no squid M and M's. Sushi M and M's. Don't got that. That would be cool though. I would eat yeah. that. I would try one, but then I would have to have like a, a bucket of coffee to wash that horrible taste down. I'm sure. So do you have any uh, con appearances coming up shortly within the next couple of months that folks might be able to uh, check in with you? Yeah, in December, I will be at um, Jekyll Con in uh, Jekyll Island, Georgia. Uh, That's December 10th and 11th. That's Saturday and Sunday up there. That's a pretty cool con. There's a lot of – they had it last year for one day, and everybody said it was an awesome con, so we jumped in. And I'm about 20 minutes from the Georgia border, so that's about a 45-minute drive from me, if that, which is great. So it's technically, I, I technically call it a local con. Every year I do Scares That Care in Virginia in uh, June or July during the summer. So those are the only two that I, I, I know are definites that I will be doing. Um, I do a lot of little small ones. Mandarin Mini Con is uh, Saturday, December 3rd. That's here in a comic book store called Mythical Mountain Comic Books in Mandarin, Florida. And they're really cool. They they hold all my Conan issues for me every month. And uh, they do like a little mini con out in their parking lot, which is awesome. They get a ton of people that show up. Very cool. And um, as far as social media, uh, online, what, what website or place would you have new folks go who are just getting hip to the awesomeness of Armand Rosamilia? Where would you send them? Well, I have uh, ArmandRosamilia.com. Uh, if you look up author Armand Rosamilia on Facebook, you can find me there. I have an Armand Rosamilia page, but that's only for like friends and family. There's also somebody, uh, a Bailey Poller, put together a Armand Rosamilia fan club <laughs> page for me. <laughs> Which nice. I, which which I, I actually I was like embarrassed, but I'm like yeah that's kind of <laughs> cool. And there's 
you know, three, 400 people in there, but I, I'm in there all the time. I, I always like to post the new stuff there first, the podcast and things like that. And then you can find me on Project I Radio. Both of my podcasts are on there. Obviously, Twitter, Armand Author. You can find me on there. You know, Pinterest and and all the other places. Most of that stuff my daughter set up for me because I had no idea what it was. And yeah, folks can subscribe to the Armcast, Dead Sexy Horror Podcast, and the Mondo Method Podcast uh, on Project I Radio, or they can check it out on iTunes as well. I highly suggest folks check out those podcasts as well as your fiction. But Armand, man, it's been a great conversation today. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Happy Halloween and to the 4,000 children that you'll be slinging candy bars at. <laughs> but uh, thanks so much and best of luck to you hey. to all of your writing and everything you got going on. Hey, thanks, guys. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad I came on. You guys are cool. You can find us online at facebook.com slash the Grim Tidings Podcast or on Twitter at Grim Dark Fiction. Download the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, and if you like this show, please share it and leave a review. Be sure to drop by our Facebook group, Grim Dark Fiction Readers and Writers, for daily updates on all things Grimdark. On behalf of co-host Philip Overby and myself, Rob Matheny, thanks for listening to this episode of the Grim Tidings Podcast. We'll see you next time. It, who's cooler, me or Phil? Would you say Phil is oh. Phil is that quiet, calm, cool? You know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you know, there's a there's, there's a different there's a different cool between the two of you. Okay. I'm the uh, cool guy that you don't know is cool yet. <laughs> right. You're so cool, nobody really even. Right. Knows. I'm that I'm the person that people are like that guy looks kind of cool. He's, he's the probably- cool behind the cool behind the cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He looks kind of like a dick too, though. So <laughs> sure. Well, that's what throws you. He's cool, but he looks like a dick. (laughs) Yeah.